hello and welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. Uh, this is Joe Anity here, and I'm joined today by a special guest named Owen Pond. Owen, thanks for taking the time to uh, to talk with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I should tell you a bit about Owen. Um, I attended a FIRE conference um, a few months back. FIRE stands for Fellowship of Independent Reformed Evangelicals. It was a pastor's conference uh, that I attended, and one of the things they do there is they highlight uh, uh, missionaries who um, – who they're associated with and missionaries who are in need of support. And so I saw a video, Owen, of, of you and your wife, and you were promoting the ministry you're doing there in Bulgaria. Um, I think at the time you might have still been in Russia. I can't remember for sure, but I remember thinking to myself, I need to I need to make connection with this brother and a uh, good Reformed Baptist brother. And, um, and so I brought you before the elders. And uh, a couple of months ago, the elders of Emmaus decided that it would be good to move forward with supporting you and and the ministry you're doing there. And, and so um, this little podcast we're producing is an attempt to, to introduce you uh, to our congregation, to the people at Emmaus Christian Fellowship, just to get a little bit of a, a background as to, to why we're doing this today. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Owen and I spoke uh, casually, what, it's been a month and a half now, I guess, or maybe two months ago that we, we had a, a talk over the phone. Um, but we're really trying to reproduce that for the people of Emmaus Christian Fellowship here. So um, let's just get right into it. Owen, would you tell us a bit about uh, yourself, uh, where you're living right now, wife, kids, all that, uh, all that good stuff? Sure. I grew up in Southern California, uh, Simi Valley in particular, which is on the other side of LA, I guess, from you guys. So it's the first town on the Ventura County side. Graduated from Royal High School, and then I moved from there down into LA for college. And after college, uh, I wasn't a Christian back then, but I, I moved to Russia and I spent a couple of years in Russia, got involved in uh, political science was my degree. I came back to America, got involved in some electoral campaigns. And in that whole process, I became a Christian. And so my life kind of took a, a very different turn from what I had thought it was going to be. I ended up in Washington, D.C. for politics. And after about two months, I, I left politics and started working at a church. And so that was a couple of years ago. I met my wife at that church, McLean Bible, which is in the Virginia suburbs of D.C. We've been married for about, well, actually, it's three years exactly now. Uh, January 6th, 2013 is when we got married. So we just celebrated that. We have a son, Calvin. He was born February 6th of last year. He was actually born in Bulgaria here, um, although right before that we were still in Russia. Um, We'll get to that, I'm sure. But we used to be missionaries in Russia and had to leave. So my wife is actually almost nine months pregnant when we leave Russia. And they hold us up at the airport and almost don't let us on the airplane. Thankfully, we had a letter from our doctor saying it was okay to fly. But we could have been stuck in Russia and had to give birth there uh, illegally because we wouldn't have had a visas at that point. So fortunately, we, we made it to Bulgaria, transitioned here. Uh, our son is about to have his first birthday. We're excited for that. And we are in Sofia, Bulgaria, which is the capital of Bulgaria. Uh, and Bulgaria is a Slavic country. So I always thought, my wife, by the way, is Bulgarian. That's an important piece of information. She was in America after she uh, graduated high school here in Bulgaria. She moved to America and we met at that church, McLean Bible. And eventually we made our way back here. And I always thought it was further north than it actually is. Since it's a Slavic country, you kind of picture it up near Ukraine, Poland, uh, but it's actually very, very far south in Europe. It's on the border with Turkey. It's sort of, I mean, it is, it's the south, 
uh, eastern border of the European Union. You have yeah. Turkey on one side, you have Greece down below it. Um, and so we've been here for a year now. Very good. Yeah. So how long have you and Nancy been married? Three years. Three years now. And Calvin is how old? He's one year old. One year old. Uh, so that's quite a bit of transition in the past uh, year and a half or so for you guys, huh? Um, yeah, huge. Absolutely huge, huge. Huge transitions. Okay. Well, very good. So that gives us a little bit of a sense of um, where you're at now, your family life. Tell us a little bit about Bulgaria. Uh, what, what is it? What is it like there? So Bulgaria, and um, forgive me if I, I do this too much, but I'm sort of my way of understanding Bulgaria at this point, because I've only been here for a year, is through the lens of my previous experience in Russia. Uh, and so the the church and life and language and everything sort of gets filtered through that lens, at least for now. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to learn Bulgarian. It's similar to Russian. I speak Russian, by the way, because of my time in college there and then as a missionary. Uh, it's a Slavic language. It was actually the first language. It was the first Slavic language to get an alphabet. And so when you see Russian, that's Cyrillic, right? Well, Cyrillic is named after a monk uh, named Kirill. Kirill and Methodius were two Greek monks who were sent to Bulgaria when Greece decided to evangelize the Slavs, so the Slavic people to the north. They didn't have a written language, and the monks wanted them to, to learn the Bible. And so they gave the Slavs the Cyrillic alphabet, and it spread from Bulgaria up into the northern Slavic nations uh, such as Ukraine and Belarus and Russia. And so Russian, that language was actually invented by monks here in Bulgaria, which is kind of a cool little piece of history. Bulgaria is nominally a Christian nation, meaning that every Bulgarian would claim to be Christian. Uh, the branch of Christianity that they follow, and by follow, they don't actually follow it, but identify with, is Orthodox Christianity. If you have any Russian or Ukrainian friends, you might be familiar with that, or even more likely if you have any Greek friends. So Greek Orthodox is sort of the most commonly known one in America. And all the Orthodox churches are are similar, but they're nationality uh, or ethnically based. And so the Greek Orthodox Church, the liturgy is in Greek and everything is in Greek and they have their own history of saints. And then so the, the Russians are Russian, Bulgarian are Bulgarian, and this branch of Christianity is not unorthodox in its beliefs, but it is very unorthodox in its practices. And so if you were to dig down and, and find out what the Orthodox faith believes, uh, there is much there that, that we would identify with and understand as Christian. But when you look at the actual daily practice, it is 90% superstition. Uh, it, it's as if the Christian church not only merged with paganism, but completely capitulated to paganism. And so now, if you are Bulgarian or if you are Russian, you are Orthodox by birth. You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to do anything. You are a Christian. That's how you identify. You know nothing about the scriptures. You know nothing about Christ. Uh, you know nothing about the resurrection, except maybe that it happened, but you don't have any concept of uh, of the, the redemptive narrative of scripture. It's, it's completely foreign. Instead, what you know is that if you're having problems, you go to a church, you buy a candle and you light it and you say a prayer. Uh, if you want your car to be blessed, you go and you pay a priest to bless your car, your computer, your apartment. Uh, 
um, you're paying for blessings from what is really nothing more than a witch doctor. In fact, the problem even is when you talk about Orthodox Christianity, even even many of the priests have have no uh, grounding in, in the Christian faith or Christian understanding, Christian orthodoxy. And so what you find is that people in this part of the world are inoculated against Christianity. If you are in a Hindu country or a Buddhist country or a Muslim country, those are completely different faiths and they know it. And so you are telling them something different. But when you come here and you want to talk to them about Christianity, they oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I don't need to hear any about that. I'm a Christian. I, I was baptized. Uh, or I go to church once a year and I, I light a candle. And it's extremely difficult to break through that mindset. So that's the background of the average Bulgarian. Now, there are some different ethnicities on the territory, such as the Roma uh, or Gypsies. And they uh, are very different than Bulgarians. The, they're not Slavic. You also have a Turkish population that's left over from when Bulgaria was owned by the Ottoman Empire, and they're Muslim. And so that's different. But but those ethnicities are, are very separate from each other, and it's, it's almost like a country within a country. And most of our ministry uh, right now is with Bulgarians. There's some work that we would like to do with Syrian refugees because Bulgaria was one of the main entry points into Europe for the Syrian refugees oh, okay. yeah. uh, until a new border fence was built, and that's been redirected now into Greece because they can come on boats. But until late last year, they were, they were largely crossing through Bulgaria. So your average Bulgarian like way, isn't it? I mean, it's just to the north of Turkey here. And yeah, ex- and exactly. And Turkey borders Syria. And so that was the route. You you leave Syria, you go to Turkey and, and Bulgaria. With the, This is not anyone's final destination. They all want to get to Germany, England, France, Austria. But they're stuck here now. Uh, many of them are. And so there's there's refugee camps that we're trying to minister to. One of the problems is we, we don't have a car and so we can't, we don't have access to these places. There's no public transportation that goes there. So that's one of the things that we're working on right now. But what we've been doing with Bulgarians um, is difficult. And not only is there that barrier of them thinking that they're already Christian because they were born into an ethnicity. Uh, and that actually might resonate with uh, some of our listeners if you come from a Catholic background. Now, I would contend that your average Catholic churchgoer knows far more about Christianity uh, than your average Orthodox churchgoer. For one, there really is no average Orthodox churchgoer. Most people don't go. Um, but if if you were raised Catholic or if you have Catholic friends, you know that it's 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 as much an ethnic identity as it is a, a religious system. But then you add to that, uh, there's a there's a very strong bias here against Protestantism, and and people wouldn't use that term Protestantism, but they know the words Baptist and Pentecostal. And to them, that means cult. And there's two reasons why they consider Baptists uh, cultists. The first is propaganda from the Orthodox Church is very heavy. Um, The the church explicitly says that Baptists are cultists. Uh, Communist propaganda used to say that Baptists practice child sacrifice. And you will even still hear some news reports uh, inside, like in Russia, talking about Baptist and child sacrifice. Wow. So that's one. There's institutional prejudice. And the second factor is in the 1990s, in all of Eastern Europe, there was uh, a wave of euphoria following the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so these countries where religion had been restricted and persecuted, uh, Baptists 
deacons, elders, ministers spent decades in prison camps. Um, people were not allowed to read the Bible. You could not be, you could not have a good job if you went to church. And so all that opened up in 89 here in Bulgaria and 91 in Russia. And so people had this huge spiritual thirst, desire to look into things. And Protestants sent missionaries over to, to Eastern Europe. Um, the, the problem is, uh, not always the best representatives of the Protestant faith were sent. And so you have huge, huge uh, swaths of prosperity theology churches that were started and were absolutely scams. And so lots and lots of people were spiritually abused, lost money, uh, and, and left it. And so now you have this it's like the burnt over district in New York. You had this wave of enthusiasm in the nineties. And then everyone realized that, that the pastors were scamming, taking people's money. American churches were sending money. The pastors were embezzling it, buying cars and houses for themselves. And so the whole thing turned out into a joke and uh, a money-making scheme. And that the, and the general population feels that even more than the institutional pressure of the Orthodox church, the institutional pressure will keep Baptists from being able to buy buildings or have summer camps. But the the idea that we're cultists is what keeps your average person from considering attending a Baptist church. So that's, that's the situation here in Bulgaria. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, uh, it sounds challenging. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm like, well, we have, we have uh, some of that here in the States, you know, there, there's touches of it here and there, but it just sounds like it's so pervasive. Uh, in, in Bulgaria, and, and uh, it looms large. Uh, but I appreciate that. That's a that's very helpful, I think, for us to uh, visualize uh, uh, the challenges that that you're facing on the ground there. Uh, could you share a little bit about how you came to Christ? Uh, your testimony. Yeah. So I was not raised in a Christian family, although my mother, both my parents, were raised in non-religious homes. And then my mother became a Christian when I was eight years old. It was back in the '80s. We were living in Germany at the time. My parents were both in the military, and so we were stationed in Germany for a couple of years. She became a Christian there. And then we got rotated out of Germany, came back to America, and we bounced around, moving around every two or three years. And my mother was never really able to find a church community where we could uh, go and be a part of, of, of church life. And so the, the, the faith was really my mother's uh, for many years. And then when we finally moved to Simi Valley, I was in ninth grade and we, well, my, my mother, it's a new place. It's an, it's a, a new city. So she's looking for a church and, and she finds a church um, that's actually on the border um, with Chatsworth. It's called the, the church at Rocky Peaks. Some of you may even know about it, but my mother began going there in the nineties. And then when I was in 10th grade, I started going to church with her and Somewhere around 10th or 11th grade, I, I made the intellectual ascension to Christianity. And I went to the Foundations of Faith class and someone drew a chart with a, a cab, um, not a cavern, but like a, a, a ravine or two cliffs and put a cross in the middle and said, Jesus, the cross gives you a way to walk from one side to the other. And I said, OK, sure, I'll, I'll take that and went with my, my mother to church, you know, sporadically on Sundays. I was not involved in youth, uh, had no desire to read scripture or anything like that. And then I went to college. And when I was in college, I didn't go to church for five years, uh, six, if you count post-college. And the, 
I had no desire to go to church. I had no desire to be in fellowship with, with other believers. Uh, it just didn't matter to me. But intellectually, I would have told you that I was a Christian. It wasn't until I went to Russia after university. And so I, I graduated from college in L.A. I moved to Russia. I enrolled in a master's program there. And near the end of my master's program, I was uh, contacted by an American. Actually, I started a blog in Russia, and it was about just a travel blog about life in Russia. I got tired of sending out mass emails to my family and friends. I said, I'll just post it on the internet. If you care, you can go read it. And I was contacted by an American who was there on an internship, uh, Christian, helping out at an orphanage. And I ended up meeting uh, that the day that I was invited to go to church, I, I was picked up by a guy named Constantine Kostya who is to this day, one of my closest friends. I was best man at his wedding. Uh, when we're in Russia, we stay at his apartment in St. Petersburg before we go to the field in Pskov. And I began uh, attending church there. And after about a year, I had to leave Russia and move to Kazakhstan for work. And there was just a point at the end where I had been going, I'd been part of a faith community there for, for about a year. And everything just clicked. I, I realized that I was a sinner. I realized that I had uh, that I could not control my life the way that I that I thought uh, that I could, and that I just I remember there was one particular moment, and I know not everyone has a moment, and sometimes you even try to manufacture and point somewhere, and that's kind of my story. But there was one point where I I remember just saying, "Okay, that's it. I, I can't control my life anymore. Do whatever uh, God, do whatever you want with my life." Um, and nothing radically changed in my life at that point. I was still on a path in politics. But eventually, we move forward a year, I ended up in Washington, D.C., and I'm working on a campaign, and I'm attending a church there. And I'm living a pretty normal, typical, you know, 25-year-old Christian single life. Um, but my campaign loses. And so in November of 2008, I am without a job in a, a foreign city with nowhere to live, no way to pay rent. And one of the guys at church is a friend of mine. He offers for me to crash at his place on the floor. Uh, another person who was involved in a Bible study on the campaign gives me a mattress. A, a, their, their son moved to college and they were going to put the mattress in the, in the attic and they gave it to me. So I end up sleeping on the floor of my friend's house for nine months while I'm unemployed in Washington, in, in the Virginia suburbs of D.C. And it's during that time that I have a lot more uh, just availability and time on my hands. And so I'm immersing myself in the life of my church. I'm uh, engaging in conversation. I'm reading scripture. I'm listening to sermons. And there's, there's one moment here also where a friend challenges my view on a certain issue. And I give him some philosophical reason why I think that's true. And he says, oh, and that doesn't, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think or what you think should be true. It matters what scripture says. And so I went back in this particular issue, I, I dove into scripture, and I looked at it. And that's when I realized that everything about myself and my life and my beliefs had to conform to scripture, that this was not just an add on to my life, um, like a little, you know, upgrade that I could slip in somewhere and, and have my spiritual side, but that it, it, it really is a transforming, um, like Romans says, uh, be renewed by the transforming mind, conforming of your mind. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I should really know this. Yeah, be, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Yeah. There you go. And that that's a process um, that is holistic and affects everything. It affects what you think about everything. It affects how you behave in every circumstance and situation. And so God used that nine months uh, as sort of a spiritual boot camp for me 
and, and that's when my life really changed radically. I got picked up for another campaign. I moved to Chicago. I worked in Chicago for a year and a half, fell in love with the city. Uh, Chicago is a, a wonderful place. I felt myself over the course of that campaign drawn less and less to politics, which I had always thought I would do, and more and more to ministry. I got involved in launching a, a college-age group at the church I was attending. And when the campaign ended, we won this time. And so I was faced with a choice. If I wanted to continue working uh, with with politics, I had to move to D.C. I wanted to work in the Chicago office, but I, I couldn't. My, my job had to be in Washington, D.C. And so it was either stay in Chicago and try to do ministry with zero funding and zero support or move to Washington, D.C. with a job in politics, which is what I had always wanted. And I eventually, after a month of difficult uh, thinking and, and not sleeping and talking with my friends, I decided that I, I would move to D.C. And so I did that. But literally one month in, I realized I had to get out. That I, I just didn't care about this anymore. It, it did nothing for me. I wanted to spend my time uh, in, in ministry in a full-time capacity. And that's not to say that it's a better position to be in full-time ministry or that it's a superior position, just that that's what I felt my vocation was to be. Um, if I still felt called to be in politics and volunteer in my church, then awesome or business or whatever. I just felt this was not satisfying me at all. And, and I wanted to go into ministry. So I found a position at McLean Bible church. Uh, I transitioned over there, worked there for a couple of years, great community, deepened my faith even more. And that's when I felt the call to the mission field and my, my wife fiance at that time, uh, the same thing. And so that's, that's how we ended up over in Russia, but really it was that nine month period of unemployment where I had nothing um, and, and that God really used to, to radically shift my life. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so you're a 1689 confession guy, reformed Baptist guy. Um, yep. Did, did you start out reformed um, from what you just said? I, I picked up on a, a period of transition there and I'm assuming that has to do with, with uh, reformed doctrine, but that's only my assumption. So how, how did you come into uh, the reform faith. Well, that is a good assumption. Um, <laughs> so I became, so Rocky Peak when I was a teenager, I, I don't really, that gave me some foundation of, of belief. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt, but largely when I actually became a Christian, it was in a charismatic context, okay. not crazy charismatic, but it, well, Calvary Chapel, you're familiar with Southern California, it's Southern California denomination. Yeah. And so Calvary Chapel has three church plants in St. Petersburg, Russia. And that's where I was studying. That's where I became a Christian. That's where I went to church. Isn't it strange that I'm from Los Angeles and I, I went to Russia and became Christian in a Los Angeles-based denomination? <laughs> right. <laughs> but when I came back to, and, and I didn't have any charismatic beliefs per se. I, I just didn't have many beliefs at all uh, about scripture and, and, and faith and that I was just sort of uh, a baby in that whole process. When I came back to America, I connected with a Baptist church in Washington, D.C. In fact, it's called uh, New Life Russian Church. It's a Russian language Baptist church that was a congregation of Columbia Baptist and Falls Church that split off eventually and, and became its own church. And that's really where all this happened. But when I say transition, it, I mean, it was almost uh, laying the the foundation for my beliefs. But the conversation where my friend challenged me was on whether you can lose your salvation or not. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that when you look at the reformed slash Calvinist versus anti-Calvinist position 
In America, typically the sticking point or the, the turning point is predestination. And that's because largely even Arminian Baptists, most Baptists in America believe in eternal security, that you can't lose your salvation. You don't have to be Calvinist in America to believe that, although I would contend that that's not a consistent worldview or, or a scriptural view, but fine. In Russia, it's actually the opposite because Russian Baptists all believe largely that you can lose your salvation. And so that was my belief and my understanding. And a friend challenged me on that view. And what I said was, well, maybe Russians need to think they can lose it because it'll keep them in check. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's ridiculous. So when you can't, what does scripture say? And that's really the thing that that changed it. And that got me. So that was my entry point into the doctrines of grace was uh, the perseverance of the saints, or can you lose your salvation? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful. That's clarifying. Um, could you describe to us uh, ministry in Bulgaria? You've already given us uh, some, some wonderful backgrounds to just the state of things there. Um, but what are you doing now? I mean, well, and I think you probably should also back up a little bit and, and say a word about uh, the move from Russia to Bulgaria. Uh, so yeah, just describe your ministry to us if you would. Sure. And um, yeah, I was uh, glad to hear, by the way, that you found out about me through Grace Bible. Grace Bible Church in Moore Park has been fantastic for us when we were in California and getting to know the people in FIRE. And then also during that time, I got to know some of the people in ARPCO, which I believe you are joining or are already part of. We're in the process of joining uh uh, process so the Southern California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches. So that's a local association here. Most of the member churches in the Southern California Association are also a part of ARBCA, and so that may be in our future too. But got it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to say, in particular, it's very nice to to establish a, a relationship with a Reformed Baptist Church because that is what my wife and I are, and 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 you can't separate that from your ministry. This is what we believe Scripture says. And so it's it's been wonderful to to connect with 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 congregations that are on the same page as we are, mm-hmm. uh, and, and specifically we went to Russia a couple years ago. We're ministering with a Baptist church in a city called Pskov, P S K O V. It's on the border with Estonia, so it's in the very very far Western European part of of Russia. And we had to leave, unfortunately. Russia right now is cracking down on missionaries. Missionaries are being deported from the country. The Orthodox Church there is extremely powerful. Putin is using the Orthodox Church, and the Orthodox Church is using him. Um, They're shutting down, like I said earlier, summer camps. It is virtually impossible to visit orphanages in Russia uh, if you're a Baptist, if you're a Protestant. And, And we were there, and we loved it. We wanted to be there. But the government changed the visa laws and made it so that if you are if you're an above the board missionary, you can only live in the country for three months out of every six months. So you can live in the country for three months, then you have to leave for three months, then you can come back for three months, and then you have to leave for three months. And we uh, found that not to be a very productive way of maintaining long term relationships and contributing to the the life of the church and the life of the city, uh, especially when we found out that Nancy was pregnant and we were going to have a small child. So we decided that we could not continue to do that. And we had to leave Russia and find a different mission field. Now, in theory, we could have stayed on a different visa. For example, I have some friends who are there on uh, educational visas. They enroll in university, they're students, but some of those friends have actually been deported. And so the government, if you are doing explicitly religious things like preaching at a church or visiting an orphanage, or sharing your testimony, and you are not there as a, as, as a on a religious visa, then you are you can be deported for violating the terms of your visa. And we didn't want to do that. We just there are people who do that. It's 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 
that's their choice. We didn't feel that that was a good testimony for us, and it put us in a position of danger. And so we reluctantly said farewell to our friends for the time being, although we're still involved with Ministry in Pskov in a coordinating effort. But since we've relocated here to Bulgaria, we really want to plant uh, roots here. And we took a couple months to examine the situation of the church and, and get to know how who, who's here, what are they doing. Uh, and it's a very difficult situation. In fact, I would even say, though there is more persecution in Russia, the church there is healthier than it is here. The, the church here is anemic, and by that I mean the believing church. Mm. There are very few congregations, uh, severe lack of biblical education. People don't know what they believe. Pastors sometimes don't even know what they believe. Uh, there's this horrible legacy of burnout because of the scandals of the of the 90s. And so in, in examining the mission field, we've sort of identified three uh, areas of attack, so to speak. And and one is one that we're really excited about. And we tried to get started this year, but it, uh, two of our candidates, we had two candidates and it fell through. And that is a student internship. So nobody is doing campus ministry here. I just met with Campus Crusade staff the other day, crew, uh, and they're not even on campuses. Campus Crusade is not on campuses. Mm, okay. Part of the reason is some people will tell you that it's illegal, that uh, because so Bulgaria is in the European Union. The European Union is very secular. And so I, I don't I don't disbelieve that. It's possible. I just I haven't seen that for myself, the law or anything. Um, but another aspect is just cultural, you know, all that stuff I told you before. And so one of the things that we want to do is bring over young high school graduates or college graduates, young married couples, and embed them in the university. And so essentially, uh, you graduate high school or college, or even if you're mid-20s, and you come over for a year, you enroll in the university. There's one in particular, the new Bulgarian university. It's in our neighborhood. We lived, we picked this neighborhood on purpose. You enroll in the university, you take language classes for, for that year in the morning. You also take two other classes and that'll be with Bulgarian students. You are a full-time student at the university. You have access to all the facilities. You have every right to be there. And you're an American, which is a huge draw. People want to talk to you. They want to practice their English with you. They want to know why you're in Bulgaria. People here want to leave to America. Why would an American come here? It's a super easy draw. And the intern's job would just, as I mean, they're here as missionaries, and their job is just to live the student life and be a Christian. I think it's a great opportunity. We'll have some uh, Christian development here that we'll do with the interns. And so we're setting that up already for next school year, which starts in October. So if you, anyone listening to this, if, if you know anyone in that uh, life stage right now who this might be interesting, please don't hesitate to to send them my way. We would love to bring them over. I think it's a great opportunity for the intern, for the campus, uh, and for our team, to be frank. It's always nice to have new people coming over who are excited to share the gospel. So that's one thing that we're focusing on. A second is resource translation. If someone here is a Bulgarian and they get interested in scripture or they become a Christian and they want more, I literally have nothing to give them. If we were in Russia or America, I mean, don't even get me started. You can you can watch YouTube sermons all day for 500 years and you'd never run out. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in Russia, I can give you good sermons in Russian. I can give you John MacArthur, John Piper translated into Russian. And you can watch and you can listen. I can give you books that are written, uh, translated into Russian. I don't have that here in Bulgaria. There's literally no... Uh, 
YouTube sermon that I can give to someone to listen to in Russian. And when it comes to books, the bookstores are full of, I kid you not, we visited a bookstore. It's Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, uh, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen. I searched the entire bookstore. I found two books by John Piper, one book by R.C. Sproul, mm-hmm. and that's it. And so we really, really, really want to get sermons, solid sermons translated into Russian. And we want to get solid biblical literature translated, I'm sorry, Russian, into Bulgarian. And we want to get solid literature translated into Bulgarian as well. So that's the second aspect. And then the third is something that we might be doing in partnership with some other Baptist missionaries here, and that's church planting. So churches here, the church planting movement in America is very big. Obviously, it's, it's, it's in the zeitgeist right now. It is not here. And part of the reason is the churches are so small that to them, church, church planting is church splitting. Uh, almost no pastors have the idea that it is healthy to send out some of your congregation to another area and start a new church. Why would we do that when we're already, uh, we already have empty seats in our Sunday service? Why would we send out people? And it's very difficult. Um, to, to get over that. And that's part of the uh, biblical education, biblical worldview, um, and, and, and really evangelism that we hope to participate in. And part of the difficulty being a foreigner coming in is essentially I'm, I'm looking at people who have suffered and, and been persecuted under communism. And I'm saying to you, hi, I am a privileged American Christian. I know better how to do things than you. And that's not a very good position to take. And so what we have to do is respect and understand the situation in Bulgaria and how it has got this way, but at the same time bring in a different perspective, uh, a a different passion, um, and just show that church planting is not church splitting. It's, uh, and I hate to use a buzzword, but it's, it's multiplication for the kingdom of God. And that's something that we're passionate about, but that's not our, our primary focus that, that we, uh, my wife and I, are taking on as our ministry. Like I said, we may do that in cooperation with um, some Baptist missionaries who are already involved in that church planting. We'll be involved in that, but we really want to focus on the student ministry right now just because we see that no one's doing it. So those are the three areas. You started a Bible study not long ago. Am, am I right? That is true. I forgot. We did start a Bible study. How's that going? It's, uh, it was on pause briefly over the holidays because I was very ill. I was not able to leave. I was on bed rest. Um, but we have started it and we were meeting and it's going well. One of the neat things that I was surprised with, we sat down and the table is, um, a couple people who became Christian in the nineties during that pseudo revival and then have stopped going to church 15 years ago. And so they have something of a basis of understanding evangelical theology. And then the other half is ethnic Bulgarian Orthodox. They would say they're Christian because they're Orthodox. And, and one of the, the men said to me, and, and this is, you know, this man is 60 years old and has, has lived a, a full life under persecution and considers himself a Christian. And I was blown away when he said during the introduction, he said, look, I, I know what I believe, but I don't know why I believe it. I have no foundation for my beliefs. So that's really what I would like to get out of this Bible study. And I was like, wow, that is, that is a refreshing, refreshing breath of honesty. Mm -hmm. And so the, we've just been answering questions like, what is the difference between Judaism and Christianity? What is it? What is the temple? What is the synagogue? Um, Why are we Christians and not Jews? Uh, So it's been, 
it's been fun to explore and answer those questions with people who are interested in learning about it. Well, that's encouraging. I'm glad that you, you had a good start to it, and we'll pray that uh, the Lord would bear much fruit through that ministry. So uh, you mentioned your health, Owen, and uh, I don't know if you want to share much, but you're certainly in our prayers. I, I did see the update from your wife a, a month or so ago that you were you were ill, and uh, you, you shared with me earlier that you're back on your feet, right? And uh, Yes, yes, I am. So, okay, good. We'll just pray that that continues then, that uh uh, that you'd stay well. Um, Thank you. Current needs. Uh, could you share some current needs with us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I used to, when I started this process of being a missionary and having to raise support, I was very hesitant to talk money, but that's a part of what it takes to live on the field. And so we are currently, our budget, our, our monthly budget is around $3,000 is what we need in support. Uh, some of that goes to administrative fee to our missions agency, we have taxes. We have to pay our own, like we're uh, 1099, Social Security. Um, and then our health insurance is ridiculously expensive right now. So that 3000 figure, eventually a little under 2000 filters down to us, which is what we use to pay for travel, visas, rent, food, and ministry expenses. And we're currently running about $500 below break-even. We're, we're deficit spending about $500 a month. Thankfully, we have extended that out by a couple of months. There were some, uh, some of our supporters gave one-time donations at the end of last year that has prolonged our financial solvency out a little bit. And this is, this is a difficulty. If you talk to any missionary, any, and even in America, church planners or church staff, like we live month to month in a sense. And so thank you for you. Thank you very much for you, your, your elder board, your congregation for partnering with us. It means a lot that we have people back home who believe in what we're doing and, and believe that the gospel is something that's worth spreading to the nations and, and that's worth praying for and thinking about and, and, and paying for. And so we're about 500 a month, but we're still okay for now. We're, we're, we're floating. And uh, we are actually in the process right now of buying a used car, a used Nissan. I've never had a Nissan. I've only had a Honda in America. Um, my little Civic, which I, I miss very much. Um, but we've been trying to do ministry here for a year without a car because it was possible to do it in Russia, just the way that the city is set up with public transportation. And it's not possible here. Like I, I mentioned earlier, the Syrian refugees, we can't access them at all. Uh, I would like to, uh, the church planting, I, I need to visit other churches in other cities and it, it's just not feasible right now. So we spent the past month and a half looking for a car. The first thing fell through and we found this used Nissan. Tomorrow we actually take it to the dealership is going to get checked out. Um, and if we, if we go ahead with that, we'll take out a, a loan for the money and that will add a little bit of, to our financial burden. But um, yeah, that's our, that's our ministry needs. I hate talking about money, but it's part of the job. Uh, yeah. So do I too, but uh, it's just the reality of it that uh, kingdom work, it costs money. I mean, you know, we, we, we need to support ourselves. We need to support those who are on the field. And so um yeah, it needs to be discussed. And and the truth of it is, is that uh, this is an opportunity for people to be a part of uh, this kingdom work and, and to worship God through their giving. And so, you know, yeah, I, I don't like talking about it either, but it's necessary and it does open up a conduit for others to get involved. And so that's good. So Emmaus Christian Fellowship has decided uh, to, to support you uh, from the general fund. But I would say if there are others from Emmaus or who happen to be listening to this from outside of Emmaus, if, if you want to uh, to support uh, Owen and Nancy and, and their ministry there in Bulgaria, um, I would encourage you to go to their website. That's the best thing to do, right? 
Um, that is that is correct. MyDailyTestimony.com. Yes. Uh, MyDailyTestimony.com. And it, it's a really nice website with um, pictures and maps and information about you guys and uh, uh, the, the Russia and Bulgaria. There's information about those two countries and stuff. So, uh, But there all, there's also a place to um, – let's see. I'm trying to find it here to, to give. Well, if, if you go to MyDailyTestimony.com slash email, mm-hmm. uh, then you'll sign up for our email list. And on that email updates, when we give ministry updates, there's a section there with a link to oh, okay. giving. And that's honestly, that's the easiest way. I mean, there's a way to get there. If you go to mydailytestimony.com slash support, you can okay. get there. But honestly, if you're considering partnering with us in, in any way, and that's prayer, that's financial, um, telling your friends about us, sending us interns, mydailytestimony.com slash email gets you on the ministry list. And then when I send out an email, please reply, reply, but any replies go to my personal email. And so we can get in touch that way. And then there's links on there to other explanatory pages about Sophia. uh, And there's a a link to give as well. Well, That's wonderful, man. We're so encouraged by you, Owen. And uh, this is a neat opportunity for us as a church to have a glimpse into something that's going on on the other side of the world. And, um, you know, our hearts are encouraged by you. We hope that you're encouraged by us, that you don't feel alone out there. I know that you have a good network of support already uh, stateside, which is a great blessing, but we hope that uh, as the people of Emmaus Christian Fellowship, we can just add to that uh, support, not only financially, but for you to know that we're praying for you, that uh, you're on our minds and uh, that that uh, we're encouraged by you. So um, please share that with Nancy. I'm sure you will. Um, we'll be praying for for you and for Nancy and for Calvin that the Lord would just bless you guys richly as you continue to um, do ministry there in Bulgaria. So thanks for taking the time, brother. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out to us after randomly seeing a video. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's nice to to partner with like-minded Reformed Baptists. And, and also from Southern California, when we come home on furlough, we really want to come and meet your congregation, mm-hmm. sit down, share, and and hear from you guys what's going on in your part of the world. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I hope to be able to do this again with you someday, you know, just to get an update from me. That is the idea, um, kind of the policy here at Emmaus. It's, we're, we're still a new church, and so it's developing, though, is that, you know, we want to support missionaries. We want them to be very much like-minded, uh, 1689 confession type guys. It's not that um, other guys aren't doing good work. That's not the point. But if we're going to support, we might as well find those who have a high degree of agreement with us, you know. Um, but also our policy is that we would stay engaged, that we'd stay in touch uh, and so Lord willing, we'll be able to do another one of these in- interviews in, a, in, in um, not too long from now. So, uh, but yeah, I think we need to wrap this one up, brother. Um, if, for those of you who are listening in, do, I do thank you for taking the time uh, to listen in. We encourage you to, to pray uh, for Owen and Nancy and also to consider supporting them uh, if the Lord uh, has provided for you in such a way we're able to do so. Um, but yeah, we need to wrap this up for now. Thank you for listening in and hope that you listen in again on Confessing the Faith. Bye-bye.